0: First advice for anybody the songwriting is keep every
1: single thing that you
2: write. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayleigh, and this episode features my conversation with singer-songwriter Rachel Laban. We met Rachel when we invited Emily Scott Robinson back for our second house concert in 2017, and she said, hey, I'll be touring with this singer-songwriter you should hear. Turns out that was Rachel. From the very first drum and vocal, we were hooked. She is a fantastic songwriter with her own take on Texas folk, and as such, won Kerrville's new folk the same year as Emily. She released her album Love and Lucases in the fall of 2017, and we were so fortunate to hear many of these songs in our own home. But as good as her album is, nothing beats seeing her live. So we look forward to the post-pandemic world when we can sit down and listen to Rachel in person. She and her husband have been living in England since last year, and the first part of our conversation was about living overseas during this time. Rachel Laban. So the question I had was, since you toured there and spent some time there before, how is your experience different living there versus when you were touring? Mm
0: -hmm. Well kind of got spoiled royally um, when I toured here because I was touring with my friends the Rosalies. And so once I moved here, it was kind of a totally different animal. You know, they're not able to drive me around 24-7 and sort out all kinds of things from petrol to place to stay and, and, you know, gigs and everything. And so I found it a lot more difficult once I moved here to get gigs and to find gigs and to play gigs. Um, because we don't have a car here and public transportation is amazing but a lot of the really good folk gigs are in small towns and areas that are not so easy to get to um, so I found it a lot more complicated once I moved here I would be interested to see how it would be if I had a car and tried mm-hmm. to, to make a living and also I have contact I have very specified contacts here um mm-hmm. that are really great for summertime uh, when the festival season is going mm-hmm. on over here but in regular season, those contacts are, they kind of drop off the face of the earth during the, rest of the year. So, yeah. Um, there were a handful of, of pubs and, and, and places that I would play regularly. But other than that, not a whole lot of touring this, this last year.
2: Yeah. Well, not helped, of course, by global pandemic and political yeah. dysfunction and all those kinds of things. Watching the US from afar, has that been um, unique, shall we say? Yeah.
0: Unique is a, is a kind word for it. Yeah. Um, we are honestly dreading coming back to the States in a lot of ways, but number one being being the pandemic going on, the United States treatment of the pandemic and their treatment in general of healthcare. You know, we've been so, so lucky this last year to be with the NHS, the national health system here in the UK uh, because we have a long-term visa. We're able to get into the NHS and, just the security of knowing that mm. if we were to get sick,
2: mm-hmm. it
0: wouldn't bankrupt us. Right, it's amazing, and that's something that I feel like a lot of Americans don't really realize um, is even a thing and even a possibility. Yeah. And so we're really dreading having to figure out health insurance again and paying out the wazoo for that. Yeah, and then you know just a general fear of getting sick. So
2: yeah. Any other observations about about English culture that have have struck you since you've been living there?
0: Oh gosh. It's incredibly different from living in Texas and I'm lucky I think because we live in the north and the north is supposedly a lot like the south and the states and that their people are much more hospitable they're much friendlier um, there's much more of a sense of community it's kind of like it seems like it's almost a split between the north and London and in London London we consider it like New Yorkers where everybody's hard and right. nobody talks to you and you know all that perception of the big city. Um, but the northerners are, are, are I think a much, a lot more friendly, but even then it's not quite like living in the South. You know, you get a funny look if you, if you look at somebody and smile at them when you're walking down the street, you know, <laughs> people think you're a little crazy. So <laughs> that's taken some getting used to. I imagine. So there's some cultural differences. There's some food differences. Yeah. Possible. There's Mexicans don't exist over here, which is very difficult coming from South Texas. Cause I'm used <laughs> to being the minority in a city. And so there's no Mexican food, there's no Mexican culture, you know, or anything. So that's been difficult to get a hang of.
2: But the English are known for their food, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, they were colonialists for a long
2: time, right?
0: So they've got all kinds of amazing food here, but it's right. not there. <laughs> no, it's
2: I, I have heard that the they best in- take
0: on you know Indian food and take on Thai food and right. For sure. For sure. There's some amazing food here. It's just, it's not Mexican and it's all been very, um, Britified.
2: <laughs> It's, um, I, I, remember hearing, and I have not spent time. I've been through Heathrow, but that the best Indian food was in London is what I've heard. <laughs> so, I,
0: I believe it. I yeah. believe it. Yeah. It's, and it's amazing food. And it's, especially if you're, if you're used to kind of the more Americanized Indian food, it's, it's right up that alley.
2: I'm I'm a little disappointed, by the way, Rachel, that that um, I was expecting at least some kind of British accent, and I'm not hearing any in you. And <laughs> I,
0: I pick it up when I'm around people, <laughs> right. um, but when I'm just around the house, and honestly, I don't. I'm gonna miss hearing the accents when I'm out and about, and you know, walking around downtown and stuff. But honestly, on the day when we're just around the house in this pandemic watching mostly American TV, you know, we don't hear a lot of English accents in our day-to-day right, right. A South Texas accent. Just like me, we watch a lot of Simpsons. We're getting a lot of American <laughs> accents from all over. So
2: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, you know, we went to Ireland last year, both Lisa and I started to be just a little clipped in the way we were talking when we were there, you know, we started to pick up elements of it. And even some pronunciations of words just because, you know, our guides were were Irish and we were just around a lot of Irish people. And it was like, you know, we got home and it was gone immediately. So, you know, it it was nice while it was there. But how uh, what what I've been starting out talking to people about is, I mean, just at at a level because I know that singer songwriters pull from a lot of internal stuff. So I'm I'm very curious about just dealing with this pandemic, which for you has been complicated, in in maybe in both good and bad ways, as you just said. But you know, you not only dealing with a global pandemic and seeing all the kind of upheaval, but you're in a, a different country, far away from from family. So how has this experience been for you at an emotional level, at a kind of personal care level?
0: I mean, honestly, I think I'm I'm going through a lot of the same things that that everybody else is. Um, You know, when the pandemic hit, my job that I had over here completely dried up. And luckily, we're very fortunate to be living primarily off of savings and student loans right now anyways, um, because Jake is in school, and we had to do a lot of savings to prove our finances before we came. And so, you know, I've got a right to work here, but it's very difficult to get a job here as an American. And so I was very fortunate to get this job, but as soon as the pandemic hit, it was gone, just done. They completely shut down the space. I was working for an event space. And the events yeah. industry and the music industry are the two hardest hit industries because of this. Right. Luckily, we're, we're okay financially, which is an amazing blessing. So that part hasn't been too too insane. Um, we don't have any kids. So that element of it is not something that we're facing. Um, and so honestly, we we just count our blessings and feel really grateful every day because you know we're able to look around at our friends and 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 neighbors and see their struggles and keep counting our blessings but there is also just this great fear of the unknown of what's going to happen next and that fear was already there just because we're going to be doing big next steps with moving to a new country moving back to the united states trying to move to nashville and, and establishing ourselves in a new city um so we were going to be feeling a bit of that anyways but this just kind of Skyrocketed it, and so yeah, just the just the general fear of the unknown is, is the biggest thing. And then with all of the other social upheavals that's been going on, in addition to the pandemic, has been really heavy. Um, and that's what I've I think been turning my focus to more so with my songwriting and, and with my music and my art and you know what I'm creating is kind of managing some of the social issues, especially the ones that affect me primarily. So yeah, I think everybody's fighting their own battles right now.
2: Yeah, uh, one one of the things I've been very curious about is uh, self care,
0: mm-hmm.
2: partially because I'm learning from people. So I, I'm I'm very curious in terms of like, is there what I've asked some people is, um, is there some form of self care that you've returned to, or is there something that you've always kind of done that's helped you uh, through this, whether it's writing or whether it's journaling or whatever, uh, meditation, faith, mm-hmm. whatever uh, that's helped you in this in this time.
0: Yeah, so my husband and I, we both picked up running, which neither one of us ever thought that we would be runners in any capacity, but we started right at the start of this pandemic, and it was basically our only outing, because when the pandemic started um, and Leeds shut down, we were only allowed out of our apartment for up to an hour a day or to go to the grocery store, and so we basically used that time to run and see as much as we could around Leeds and go to a park and run around and get our hour of exercise every day, so that became our main outing. And you had to keep moving. They, if you stopped moving, if you sat down, you know, to have a picnic in the park, you know, if an officer saw you, they would come over and say, hey, you know, this is physical exercise. You got to get up. You got to go keep moving. Wow. Sorry. No <laughs> loitering in the park. And so running is a big thing. And it's, it's continued to help my husband a lot. Um, it helps him get his angst. It helps him have something to be competitive with himself. Hmm. He's a very competitive person. And we play basketball, but you can't play basketball right now because of people.
2: Right, because of people.
0: <laughs> because of people. <laughs> Dang it. For me, I sleep a lot. And I've always been, I've always been a very healthy sleeper and kind of turned to dream state to, to kind of process things and, and, and get through things. I've been sleeping a lot lately. Mm. You know, it's at least eight to nine hours a night and then a two to three hour nap in the afternoon. So sleep helps me get through a lot, make a lot of tea, I'm a big fan of peppermint and chamomile tea. I've been starting to do more journaling and writing, just kind of writing thoughts out because there'll be a lot of times when I'm trying to go to bed and a million thoughts hit your head all at once and you can't sleep. Yeah. I've been cooking more often. Hmm. That's been good. Been yeah. really fun. i learned to cook all kinds of new curries. Uh, being in England, curry yeah. is a big thing. It's a staple food here. So um, I'd never cooked a curry in my life before until I moved here and then. That's probably something we eat once a week now. So yeah, cooking and baking and sleeping. Yeah.
2: You said that your songwriting has really kind of turned towards some of these social justice issues. Has your songwriting um, kind of gone up, down?
0: Down. Hardcore down. <laughs> yeah. S- some people apparently are-, are writing like fiends right now, which I'm very impressed. And go do it go <laughs> be awesome.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, My yeah. writing is completely plunge. I'm writing a lot, but I'm not songwriting very much. So uh, that's, that's certainly been a challenge, but I've been trying to to focus on processing through kind of some of, some of my fears going forward and um, moving back to the States and approaching 30 as a female in the music industry. <laughs> that's right. a big right. kind of thing on my conscience a lot right now. So those have kind of been the, the big topics on my mind, but in terms of writing. I think I've written maybe two or three songs since I moved here. Okay. Um, so it's been pretty slow coming.
2: So I I will say to you what I say to Lisa every day when she's struggling with work is it's a pandemic. Give yourself a break. You're just trying to get through the day. So, you know.
0: Certainly. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, let's, so let's talk a little bit about about writing, just about how you approach it. And while you and I've had a lot of conversations, I don't think we've ever actually talked about your approach to songwriting. And so, I mean, I know that you're an excellent songwriter. Uh, When when did you first write uh, your first song?
0: When I was in piano lessons when I was a little kid, like five to eight or nine years old, I would would basically take the songs I was having to learn for school and then rewrite them to make my own songs. But that was silly things. I think I had a song where I named all the fruits I knew and, you know, Mm -hmm. silly things like that. So. Basic songwriting from a very young age, but my official song, first song I wrote when I was 10, and it was called Drafted to War, and it was about a um, lover of mine. I was 10. Uh, <laughs> a lover of mine being drafted and, and taken off to the war. And, and wow. Perspective. I was very afraid that one of my like, elementary school crushes was going to be drafted because he was 16. and Right. You know, there was a chance. Um, this was when the, the Iraq war was getting started and it was gotcha. directly So it was of cool issues that got me into writing in the first place.
2: And and you, as I recall, I mean you grew up in a family of musicians. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Or so yeah. so you were always around people who were playing, and so the idea of actually writing an original song was not foreign to you at all.
0: Um I think I was the first one in my family to do it.
2: Oh, Uh,
0: My parents are both musicians, but they were always in cover bands growing up and in really good cover bands, you know, they would have these books of, you know, hundreds of songs that they could pull out um, for, they they played weddings and things like that. Um, And I think my dad had maybe toyed with the idea of writing songs or maybe he'd written a little bit growing up, but he didn't, like, I didn't know that at all. Um, But we listened to a lot of great songwriters. You know, I grew up listening to Guy Clark and John Prine and Willie Nelson. And so yeah, I had some of the most epic songwriters, you know, ingrained in me from a very young age. But the, the songwriting bug kind of hit after I saw this this young girl playing. Her name's Ashley Rose. She was playing in Texas at a, a little club downtown. And she had written a song and, you know, was like, this is my song. I'm going to sing my song now. She was 12 years old. Wow. She started playing her song. And I thought, oh, you know, I can do that. That's cool, you know, singing your writing your own songs, singing your own songs. So I think that was the initial inspiration, and then she was the one to introduce me to Susan Gibson, Oh okay. and then that whole yeah just became a flood of, of uh, Texas songwriters that I got really into, and yeah, started me down the path.
2: The the <laughs> the path. Uh, Terry Hendricks, another one I think that you
0: Terry Terry, I've known my whole life. My parents, I think they've known her since on the Sanger Hall days when she would would hang out in New Braunfels, Um and they would go out there and, and, and hang out so I've known Terry my whole life but Susan was, was I was late right. to the party on.
2: Ha- have you by the way played with Lloyd Maines?
0: I have <laughs>
2: yeah he's brilliant. He, he uh, I usually described him as the best guitar player you've never heard of unless you're you know a Texan or um, you know from that genre but so
0: he's kind but, of the master of a lot of instruments in that. Oh, song man, he's,
2: he's amazing. He's just, you you took to songwriting pretty early. And then uh, when did you do your first kind of camp or, or, you know, like applied lesson about writing? I mean, you know, not just oh being creative, but.
0: Um, <laughs> about three years ago. <laughs>
2: oh, really? OK. Yeah. Was that I, song school?
0: I, I went to song school, the Rocky yeah. Mountain Song School. Um, yeah. Two or three years ago. I think that was the same trip. I I think
2: so. Yeah. Because
0: I literally got back. Yeah, that was a wild year because I got engaged. And then two years, two uh, days later, I left on tour to go tour for five weeks in uh, England without my fiance. Then I got back. I was home for three days. And then I shipped off to song school for a week and doing the Colorado tour. So I was in a weird place when I was at song school, but it was okay. I was just really wanting to be home. And I was stuck in a tent.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, was
0: and it was a really wonderful experience. <laughs> I really wanted to be home. But yeah, that was that was my first experience doing any kind of song school. I'd gone to Southwest Regional Folk Alliance for the first time when I was, I think, 19 or 20. I didn't really take any any formal song school classes. I just started to learn more about the industry and what it meant to be a folk artist. But really, everything I learned was from sitting on the floor in front of the stage at, at Casbier's. Um, which is the bar down down the road from me that where Slade Cleves would play and Adam Ugh. Carroll and Susan Gibson and Terry Hendricks and Jeff Plankenhorn and all those guys would come in and, and play shows. And I would literally be on the floor with the roaches and the rats, you know, writing down their chord progressions and learning all their songs. And right. that was really how I got my start. Interesting. Those guys.
2: Man, Slade Cleves, ah, Yeah, that guy. Um, so about your guitar playing... Uh, because one of the things I've noticed from you from the very first time I met you, which was in our house. Actually, no, that's not true. I met you in Folk Alliance very briefly in a hallway, but in terms of actually hearing you in any way, it was when we were doing sound check. And one of the things I've always loved about the way you play is, and I can't quite put a finger on it, but it has this great texture, and just there's a groove to it that is, which, you know, is not easy to do. But you really, I mean, you that part just really comes alive when you're playing. I mean, I, I love listening to you play guitar alone. I mean, I just think that's, did, is that, I know you said you started with piano lessons when you were younger. Did you just learn guitar by being around family members and take it up or did you take lessons? Did you, you know, did I didn't you.
0: didn't take formal lessons either. I decided at 10 years old that I didn't want to play piano anymore because I hated piano lessons. And my dad said, we well, have to play something. I said, okay, I'm going to play guitar. All right, if you learn three chords, I'll go buy you a guitar. So that night, I learned nine chords. My brother sat down and taught me a bunch of chords. Um, and I went back to my dad the next day and I was like, "I learned nine. <laughs> Can you buy me three?" He, and he bought me my first guitar, and, and you know, it's, it's all all downhill from there. Um, <laughs> but no, my brother and I were kind of, were kind of always in, in this simul- sibling rivalry with each other, over our musicianship, over our songwriting. Um, and he's six years older than me, and he started playing guitar a little bit before me. And he quickly became a lead guitar player, and you know was playing all these leads. And I decided really early on that okay, I, I may not ever be a lead guitar player, but I'm going to be a damn good rhythm player. Um, you know, I'm going to be just as necessary on that stage as the lead guitar player, but playing rhythm. And so I really turned my focus on that, and and really looked into the works of like Susan Gibson, is a brilliant guitar player. Um, And Andy DeFranco is a brilliant guitar player, Um, not lead guitar players, but incredible rhythm guitar players. Yeah. Um, And so I really kind of started studying those guys and, you know, just did my own thing instead of trying to learn lead guitar.
2: That's that's pretty cool, because for one thing, as you well know, um, when you're up on stage by yourself, being a lead guitar player doesn't help you a lot. But, you know, uh, being a really good rhythm guitar player translates really nicely to a solo act. And and that's... Um...
0: It became more and more necessary as I started to go down the, the folk route too and in, in trying to accompany myself and it just being me and my guitar. When you take away a band, if you can hold your own and still have these songs be as, as brilliant and dynamic as, as it is with the band, then you're really doing something right. Um, so that's what, another thing that I kind of turned some focus towards is is making sure that I was just as good solo as I was with a full
2: band. Mm. Well, I I can see that. And I, I agree with you completely. I mean, like I've said to people who are not into music, to me, the hardest thing to do in is, is stand up with a guitar and have no accompaniment, nobody to turn to for a lead break, no, you know, anything like that. And, and have a crowd, you know, listen to you. And you do that really well. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So, how can you tell me a little bit? Walk me through how you approach uh, writing songs. I mean, if you, if do you, do you work from prompts? Do you uh, is it uh, intentional? Do you wake up one day and say, "I'm going to write a song today"?
0: I wish it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right.
0: I've done every approach imaginable. I've I've tried prompt writing. Most of the time, if a song is going to come to me, a, it comes very slowly. Or, or, it either comes extremely slowly, or it floods out of me and I can't stop it and it just writes itself. Um, It's never in between. It's never easy. (laughs) I wish it weren't for me. No, I often, I often start with a title, which will typically be the hook of the song. Sometimes it's worked to where I've started with, you know, I just got a melody in my head and a rhythm in my head, and then kind of found some words that started to fit along with that, and then built the song from that. I am horrible at writing bridges. Um, and so a lot of my songs don't have them or they just have a repeated chorus with the different words to it. So that's, you know, uh, often a challenge for me is, is, you know, I'll get all these verses and choruses down and then I'll be like, guess I'm done. This is it. Hope you like it.
2: <laughs> I don't think I've ever I, I noticed that, by the way, in terms of bridges. That's not something that's ever caught my ear or eye. I mean, that's <laughs> so that's, you know, it's sort of like I saw Gregory Allen Isakoff in concert and he said he doesn't write choruses. And then mm-hmm. I started listening to his music, and I'm like, I kind of know what he's saying, but that's not something I would have uh, thought. So I never would have thought that your songs were lacking in any way on anything like that, So for what but it's worth.
0: I appreciate that that there's a lot of songwriters that don't follow the the standard style of writing, and that it's okay. And right. they write beautiful songs. Zenaeus Mitchell doesn't follow any standards, um, and her songs are incredible. So I try to be patient with myself when I'm not writing to the Nashville, you know, Standard.
2: Do you keep like a journal of like title ideas or anything like that? Or how do you kind of? Oh,
0: I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this journal that I've had for a long time. This is my current kind of everything journal. And it's great because it has line pages and it has graph pages and it has plain white pages. So it's kind of a pick your feel notebook, which I really love about it. And so it's very disorganized and it has everything that I am thinking about and learning about and needing to take notes on and writing in terms of songs. Um, I try to keep kind of separated to where like, okay, I've got journal entries in that lined pages section I've got notes in the graph section and I've got song ideas in the, the back section of it. It doesn't always work out. (laughs) It gets a little messy. My brain's a very messy place. (laughs) Uh,
2: I will say every songwriter I've talked to and, everybody says something along those lines and feels kind of apologetic that somehow that their notebook is, I mean, Emily Scott Robinson said the same thing, you know, a lot of messy notes. I think that's art is messy, you know, it's not. uh, So I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear that. It is kind of, it's, it's you, what you end up creating
0: out perfectly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you come up with an idea for a title or a song idea and you may just sort of as you're, going through your journal and go, oh, that's, I, yeah, let me work on that. I mean, or or, or just uh, sort of keep it kind of going. Um, and so some of these can really take um, months and, you know, of just sort of germinating in the back of your brain, I'm guessing. Is that correct?
0: Certainly. Certainly. Oftentimes I'll, I'll have an idea for a song and I'll just scroll through my books trying to find similar ideas of, you know, in times past when I've had a, a similar thought. Uh, or something along those lines. Or you know, maybe I developed a character from years back that I can implement in this song. And so, yeah, that's always my first advice for anybody that's songwriting is keep every single thing that you write. I think Terry Hendrix has has a, a big, giant chest drawer that she keeps all of her notes in. And it's just like, there's scraps of paper, there's bar napkins, right. there's notebooks, there's journals, all kinds of things. Um, right. and that She keeps through every once in a while to find inspiration.
2: You said character are there times when um cuz i was thinking about emily is another one who does that she can write a song about a character or kind of a fictional world and yet i've talked to other people who really are uh driven by their own kind of experience and processing that and i know that actually even emily would say that even her fictional ones are a world that she recognizes and everything else but are you are you drawn to to writing songs about characters is that is that something you like to do
0: I like to do it. I'm not, I don't know that it's always my best material that comes out. I think the songs that end up making it the set and that end up being really the most genuine and, and interesting are songs about myself um, or songs in which I take a little piece of myself and, you know, I verbalize it. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. a word, but <laughs> make it bigger, make it more dramatic. I have a few songs that have made it into the set that are, that are entirely character songs. Um, And I want to delve into that more. And actually, Emily's a a really big inspiration for that. Emily and Ben, they're incredible at at writing character songs. Um, So Ben. Delacour, sorry. Oh,
2: right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, have any that that you really, you you said you've tried prompts. Kind of curious if you've had some that have been kind of jump-started from somebody else that have turned into songs you really like, or have they mostly come from like you said, that kind of internal place.
0: Really, I think the only example I have of that is uh, my song, Do You Dare? Um, That song was actually stemmed from a prompt uh, that I got at the Southwest Regional Folk Alliance that was the secret to life is to dare was the prompt. Um, And I took that and ran with it and and wrote a song about um, kind of overcoming all your fears and jumping off the deep end and, you know. Right. Daring, daring to dream and daring to be yourself and daring to, to try something. I think the only case where I've completely written a song from a prompt, I'm sure, I'm sure that prompts I've read over the years have influenced me later for sure. There's no way, you know?
2: So can you tell me a little bit about your experience at Kerrville? And it feels like that was a pretty, uh, I mean, you were, you were around Susan Gibson and Terry Hendricks and people like that who were, I think, affirming what you were doing. You got good support from your family.
0: It was a huge, huge turning point for my career. Um, You know, I've, I've had incredible support from, from, friends and mentors and family over the years. But I'd never, I'd never accomplished something completely on my own. And, you know, been rewarded for it been commended for it in, in a way like that. And so it was a huge confidence boost in me as a songwriter. You know, it's one thing for your parents to say, Oh, you're a good songwriter, you should keep doing it. Or, you know, Joe Schmo that doesn't know anything about songwriting saying, Oh, yeah, you keep doing it. You know, but to have three award winning songwriters come to you and say, Hey, you're a good songwriter so much so that you're gonna win out of these 32 finalists that are all incredible wow. songwriters. Like right. that's and you're also gonna join the ranks of Lyle Love It and you know Nancy Griffith and you know Robert O'Kane. Paul cotton to be standing in. Yeah. <laughs> so right. that was a huge confidence boost. And then also with the tour that comes along with it, to be surrounded by those the five other songwriters for you know two weeks on the road. And to get to learn all their tips and tricks and, and road habits was another huge confidence boost in that, like, I was able to hold my own next to them and also learn a ton from them. And so it gave me the confidence to to try to do touring full time. Mm. Um, you know, I'd never really done a cross-country tour on my own. You know, I'd done cross-country tours with my family band and, and I'd, I'd done some touring over in the UK where it was kind of curated for me. Um, and I'd done a lot of Texas touring, but I'd never really branched out of Texas and so that was a huge a huge deal for me yeah I'm I'm a big proponent of Folk festival in that competition for
2: sure um do you want to play a song sure by the way um that first guitar your dad bought you Uh uh-huh you still have it I do what kind was it
0: that guitar it's a johnson acoustic guitar and at 10 years old I used to go around and say hey you want to see my johnson (laughs) I felt so cool. (laughs) I'm going to do a new song for you.
1: shows comfort and
2: That is a fantastic song. (laughs) And honestly, it gave me chills, Rachel. I mean, this is this is what I love about listening to you. And I really enjoyed seeing you live. Um, Like I said, it's that groove. It's that I was thinking about your uh, phrasing in there, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I think beginner songwriters often and I'm thinking about myself, everything has to fit in a kind of, I don't know, orderly fashion. I just love that phrase so much of that phrasing in there was just so it, it's pulling me in. It's pulling me into what you're doing. And so th- I'm. When, when is this one going to be on, on something I can listen to? It's
0: going to be on a new album um, that is not recorded yet, but is, is in the conversation of being recorded.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, that's a fantastic song. Thank you. One of the things we didn't talk about earlier is cause you have a great voice. When, when did you start singing?
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> Infancy, (laughs) I think Um, my parents told me that I knew how to whistle and I knew how to sing before I knew how to talk. So I was always, I think, a little bit musical. And I remember getting in trouble in elementary school and and like kindergarten for singing. Uh, But but singing professionally, I mean, same time as I picked up a guitar and and started singing songs and writing my own songs, it kind of all happened at, at about age 10. But, you know, when I was five and six years old, I would get up on stage with my parents when they were singing in their band and I would sing back up with my mom, you know. So there's, yes. there's bits of it there. But I didn't get any formal training until high school. I went to a, a art school called Northeast School of the Arts and I studied musical theater and I got four years of really great vocal training in that program. So that's all the vocal training I've had was was the four years in yeah. high school. But well, there's not better than the musical theater training for, for voice. <laughs>
2: I, I was just thinking back to when uh, when you played our house, of course, uh, you know, Emily's the one who brought you, you know, we, we were having Emily back. And, and I remember I wasn't sure about this other person. And, and I remember like the very first strum and first thing I was like, holy hell, I am so glad to meet Rachel Laban. This is, I'm a fan, obviously. We're a fan. Lisa downstairs, she's working and I know she's going to be looking forward to listening to this, but.
0: Our friends.
2: You, you've got a, you've got a really nice sound and I, I, I look forward to hearing what you do next. Well, I, I have a a few remaining questions and actually the first one I'm going to ask you is a new one for you, uh, kind of, um, but it's one I've been thinking about. You're not only a, uh, obviously a songwriter and a creative person, but you, do you listen to a lot of music? Is that, is that something that you? Tons. So how do you, uh, do you listen to it on Spotify? Do you?
0: I listen to it on Spotify. Um, we don't. I I'm a vinyl person. If mm. option in England, we don't have a record player. We don't have a CD player. It's too much to carry. Our I have a massive CD collection. I have a massive vinyl collection, but I couldn't take that over here. So everything right now is Spotify.
2: Okay. All right. So here's the the other part of the original question. So the first one is, who is the songwriter that makes your jaw drop?
0: Right off the bat, Jason Isbell, definitely probably my number one guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But honestly, Justin Farron, every time he comes out with a new song, I'm like, oh, oh, oh God.
2: <laughs> so, I know it's, it's an incredibly flawed question because uh, it's
0: hard because it depends, you know, depends on my mood, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Justin Farron can do no wrong. <laughs> In my he's eyes, he's
2: fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right. So okay. now question number two, what outside music? I mean, and I mean music outside of Americana folk, where I have you categorized for good or ill. Um, what music out of that do you listen to that you think informs um, how you write or how you play?
0: Oh gosh, I listen to I listen to a lot of music in Americana, so it's hard. And, and Americana is, is a is a word that covers a lot of genres, so I'm not sure how far out of the range I need to go. Um, I love bluegrass music. I love musical theater music to a certain extent. I'm picky, but yeah, some things I really love. And I'm sure that hasn't informed my writing and my my view of character. Yeah, I would say bluegrass. Okay. I like funk music a lot too. And I think that kind of in, invites me to, to try out different rhythms a lot. So yeah.
2: that's
0: another one. Who
2: Who's your favorite? Is there a go-to bluegrass band or artist that you go to?
0: I really love Sarah Gerose. I really love the Punch Brothers. Those are kind of my two
2: yeah. good uh, the last question has morphed, um, but I'm going to give you both versions. It, it is, do you have a guilty pleasure music or is there music you listen to that you think your fans might find surprising? And and let me just real quick explain that I feel guilty asking about a guilty pleasure because yeah. if you actually like it, there's no real need to feel guilty is why I... <laughs> yeah, that's-
0: That's kind of the challenge I'm having is is mostly with the word guilty because I'm I'm not very afraid to make a fool of myself. So I don't know what what is going to actually like, ooh, get me embarrassed if somebody knows this about me or like, ooh, a surprise. I really love Lizzo. I listen to a lot of 90s alternative rock and pop because it's nostalgic for me because I grew up loving the Spice Girls and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Um, So I will sometimes turn those guys back on. I'm feeling nostalgic. And I recently went on a Nickelodeon cartoon theme song, um, playlist, if you will (laughs) recently for a little bit more. I think the really only guilty pleasures are more nostalgic music for me.
2: Okay. (laughs) That's, that's exactly what I was curious about. That's why I no longer want, like, (laughs) right. I'm I'm not actually trying to make people feel guilty, but it refers to something (laughs) usually that, you know, well, I'm going to let you go. Um, Rachel, this has just been delightful. It's great to yeah. see you, and um, I hope you know how much Lisa and I are fans of yours, and um, we're just so looking forward to what you do next. Such a big fan of your music, and um, and you as a person. Uh, I'm glad that we've gotten to see you over the years, you know, at Folk Alliance or, you know, and other times, not just that one uh, house concert, because sometimes you don't get to chat as much as you'd like, you know, with everybody around, but Really? You're a first, you're a first class human and a really good songwriter. And I'm, I'm glad you're somebody that we know. So.
0: Thank you. We love you guys.
2: Well, I wish you the best of luck in terms of all the, all the things with moving back and all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll, we'll be, a big be <laughs> yeah, we'll be watching and, and cheering you guys on and um and hopefully we'll see you soon and get to hear some of these new songs. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rachel Lavin and hope that you will go purchase her CD and make plans to see her live after this is all over. If you do, please tell her hi for us. In the meantime, visit her website, join her Patreon, purchase some merch, and send her some support. We need our poets and truth-tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast.